Hi everyone, I'm Summer. I'm Carrie. And this is Hopoxia Podcast. Join us to talk about sex, drugs, and self-improvement. Today's upload is a continuation of the conversation about psychopathy that I was having with Jessica in the last episode. Um, so if you missed that, you'll want to go back and catch it as well. I think too, like the um, the other like common misconception about psychopathy is that it's just not treatable. Um, if you look back to treatment of people with addictions, treatment of people with uh, who are sex offenders, you see this pattern of like, okay, well now we've finally decided that this is a problem. Now we finally decided that there's treatment. Now this treatment's going to be super punitive. Um, and now, and then, and then over time you get people who go, I don't know if that's working, (laughs) you know? And, uh, so like even things like, uh, you know, that I think it's on the psychopathy is website too. They talk about like, what are the kinds of treatments that don't work? Mm -hmm. Boot camps, scared straight. These are the kinds of things that do not gain traction with. Well, and, and psychopaths don't learn from punishment no it doesn't matter how many times you do it they don't learn from it so no. actually i was looking at i was reading about the mendota um facilities uh success mm-hmm. that they've had with their what they call their decompression model which is mm-hmm. actually interestingly pretty much the parenting strategy that her longtime therapist gave us when she was young which is mm-hmm. probably why things have remained quite kind of as stable as they have. Um, So there are treatments, but we have been lately been, it has been suggested mostly not really. I don't think it's really because they think it's going to help therapeutically, but Uh more as a, if the safety, if, if we get back to where there's a safety threat, Mm -hmm. a way to remove her from the home because of lack of there, because there aren't any options, the wilderness therapy, um do you know anything about the wilderness therapy programs i mean it sounds like boot camp it's basically they yeah they sort of like but sending it's less them out militarized. The, it, it looks like it's less militarized but it's yeah in an isolated in the wilderness and they basically they hike all the like all day long and then they have short little therapy group therapy sessions once a week or something so i'm not sure exactly how much you can call that therapy at all but <laughs> I don't know why ethically that would be more acceptable than say like juvenile detention. That, that would be my question. You know, I think that they, honestly, I think it's being recommended basically as an, for, for kids that you think need to go to juvenile detention, but uh-huh. you can't, don't have access for that. Because if what we've been told, like, like I said, we've dealt with the police, um, four times I think in the last year mm-hmm. and they've literally told us because you are because it is family members that she is doing these things to we aren't going to do anything it is your problem mm-hmm. as the parent this is your responsibility try not to die but we will prosecute her if she does finally kill you <laughs> cool <laughs> like, Great. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much yeah um, there's certain populations where you end up find like falling into these weird loopholes where it's like yeah oh we I, th- this used to happen with guys who that I uh, had as cl- uh, clients who were um, intellectually disabled, and they'd be like, uh, "Well, they're already here, <laughs> you know, and they already can't stand trial. So, what are we going to do, you know?" And it's like, 
okay, but we also have to talk about some consistency and accountability. What I hear when you say like, maybe this is part of like your safety planning, you know, when you talk about, we have these safety structures at kind of this like low level, you Mm -hmm. know, but what happens if the behaviors go up to here, you're telling me you need more strict parameter type physical uh, safety measures in place. And I can't offer that. I I don't have guards. I don't have, you know, cameras. I'm not going to surveil you all the time or whatever, but maybe you're telling me this is what you need, you know? And then that, that's where like the detention facilities like have their role, but like the wilderness stuff, like (laughs) I think it's, it's tricky because I think, who is monitoring them? <laughs> it doesn't seem like they are very well monitored. I, I went down a rabbit. I spent four hours on TikTok the other day, reading, th- you know, okay. watching videos and the hashtags. It was a little bit vague on because they all called them abusive, but it was a little vague on what the actual specific abuses are. So I'm still unclear. So if anybody okay. out there is watching this that can fill me in, please do. Other than the, you know, the marching and the, a lot of the complaint from a lot of people was yes, it's traumatic to be torn out of your home and yes. you know feel like you're being discarded so like yes. i get that but like the wilderness stuff she does anyway she does the wilderness camping anyway so like those skills you know that's not going to be an issue for her but therapeutically it didn't seem like like there was much in the way of therapy therapy and it doesn't seem like there's much oversight because they all seem to be like private companies um that's what makes me concerned right and so that's yeah. my concern because there i also you know found some people some graduates of these programs that really loved them and thought they were great but my concern is so I don't think like I said the wilderness experience for her wouldn't be that bad because she already does that stuff right with scouts and stuff but my concern is because there's so little oversight how do you know which program is okay and which who's what's not and because of the pathological lying that is just our the reality of mm. her condition i have no way to assess when she does contact me if, if this things is are going well or not or if or if she complains of abuse like what is right what's her motivation for all that i mean that's the thing like I would want some place that talks about, like, there are some empirically validated treatments like the PCIT, which I think is called, like, parent-child interaction therapy. Um, and those oh, yeah, are... we tried that. that, that, that <laughs> She's just like, why are we here? Um... So there are, there are therapies that are validated, and, like, every therapy is going to have, like, and, and what, whatever gains traction with your particular child some of that, like, this is a little bit where we get into, like, the art of therapy, um, because, uh, one, it's finding a match, what's going to work with the particular client. Two, it's going to be about what is the clinician bringing to the table that is a good match for the client as well. Like, what what are the theoretical models that make me, like, super jazz to be able to provide something and deliver it out? And with psychopathy, you have to have, like, lots of different uh, skill sets, but you still need to have like guiding principles that are like leading, leading your treatment. 
Um, what I really liked working with was um, it was called the old me, new me model. And so that's what I worked with, with, uh, with sex offenders who had intellectual disabilities, many of whom had psychopathy. Um, and what I like about it is that it's, so <laughs> to kind of illustrate, back when I worked in Brooklyn, I had, I was running groups with uh, guys who had committed sex offense and they would follow this kind of like, um, kind of a rubric every time we would meet and they would say, this is my name. This is what I did. I feel real bad. And then they would go on to the next person. And then that would repeat every single time we would do group. And I was like, after maybe the 14th time of this like repeating, I'm like, oh God they think this is what I want to hear from them. Oh, right. They think that I want to hear, here is who I am. Here are my offenses. I feel really bad. Please move on. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> and I was like, right there. okay, so now what we're doing is every single day where maybe it's taking responsibility. I don't know. But like you're saying every single day, here is the absolute worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> this is part of me now. <laughs> and repeating yeah. it and having it reinforced in the setting. And I was like, this sucks. Like, I, I just really do not like this. So I had some just really, like, excellent supervision talking about learning the old me, new me model. And part of it was, like, starting to create some of that, like, uh, dissonance between who it was that did those things and who it is that you're trying to be with the idea that identity is extremely motivating, you know? And so what we would come back to, especially like in carceral settings all the time is even if you were super happy offending, even if you were super happy, like getting all the stimulation that you wanted, I cannot imagine that you enjoy these four walls so very, very much. Perhaps, Perhaps the methods you picked did not lead to what it to is what you, you want. wanted, you know? So if what it is that you want is not these four walls, let's look at these functional ways for you. To, like, this is really like where we're radically focusing, but also not just um, being super like pragmatic. Like I'm talking about, let's unfuse you from this rigidity that's attached to the psychopathy because that's what I notice as a clinician when I go and like meet when I met with clients like that is that there's this like just inability to do something different you know we're, we're going to be real real rigid here and so I want to like work with you to get that flexibility and see that growth you know um and uh so the way that I worked was to like really pull for identity, but there's another model that works for, it worked more for people who were, um, had like higher intellectual functioning, but honestly, like I had good effect with kind of both was the good lives model. Um, and the good lives model draws heavily from, from the old me, new me model as well. It's just more, it's got more domains kind of, um, you know, articulated. So uh, with the good lives model, it's basically like, here are all the things that create your good life, you can make like a little plan. How would how were you getting those needs met? When you were being dysfunctional and harmful? How can we get those values met in ways that do not break rules? 
and allow you to do things like maintain freedom, you know? So I like to kind of wrap that up in the identity balloon because Mm -hmm. I think it, it makes more sense when you think like, think about it as a whole rather than just these individual things that, that for me, that's easier to conceptualize. But, um, but those are things that like get people interested and engaged and motivated because this is not supposed to be awful, (laughs) you know, like I do want to hear like the full accountability and the full responsibility. And I do want to see those behavioral changes with respect to like how you talk about the things that you did, you know, like, I want to hear that. I want to hear that accountability. Even if you don't mean it, I want to hear it because that's part of the boundary that I want to maintain as a clinician, Mm. you know? Um, I want to hear the responsibility because I also too know that there's the feedback with how you talk and how it influences your change internally. And I also know how you're going to be received out in the world. You know, there's going to be a lot of hands off (laughs) type approach. Right. And that's what I talk with my daughter about lately is she's, like I said, she's 15. She Mm -hmm. has decided, which this is interesting, like, cause we, people try to rationalize other people's behaviors. We, we do a lot of projecting. So Mm. when a lot of people hear like, oh, she had, you know, attempted to take my life. Well, she's angry with you. She must hate you. No, actually, interestingly, her motivation was she wants to you know which actually is interestingly kind of age appropriate for her age she wants to be an adult and be out on her own and do what she wants right and you were in the way and I was the hurdle because she's like even if I run away you know you're gonna look for me (laughs) right so if Mm -hmm. I'm not around to look for her she could go do what she wants right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so now we've we have made a plan together for okay here is a way that you can move out at 16 Mm-hmm. She wants to go to a job core program, mm-hmm. right? So she can finish high school, get job training, get a job. And then um, if she can do all that before 18, she could potentially be legally emancipated and legally an adult if that's, um, sure. you know, if she's at a point where she is um, self-supporting. Mm-hmm. So, and that motivation is actually, I think, why things are calm right now. Because she is working very hard on her schoolwork and she's at 16. She's going. That's her thing. So I'm like, mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of people who are critical of that. What's the 16-year-old going to do? You know, I'm like, the reality is she's a very, she's a very highly intelligent person. Yes. And she, so she has made up her mind. She knows and she has articulated that she understands once you are 16, if you run away, the police don't often make you go home. Mm-hmm. They usually are just like, you know, mm-hmm. and she is aware of that. And so mm-hmm. if she has her mindset that she's leaving at 16, then I'm going to do everything that I can to help make that as productive as possible. So she is set up in as safe way. as possible. That's where I'm trying to go. Because if she doesn't yeah. have the ability to take care of herself, support herself or have a safe place to go, mm-hmm. the other alternatives because the reality is she's probably going to go no matter what I say you're trying to do. You have inadvertently and very intuitively approached the task. Uh, and like, I remember the first time we talked and I was like, God, no feedback. Like really what, what I would want for you is support for you personally more than like, I think you're guiding 
what you can and what is possible where you are, like as best you can. Like the only other thing that I would look at is maybe there might be some telehealth type resources, you know, but you also have to have buy-in and some of that has to do, that's what I was talking about with, with respect to treatment. Like I, I never want to look at a person and say, you can't do this. You cannot, like you can't get better because I'm always surprised at the people who start off treatment really like gung-ho and then drop. <laughs> and then the people who uh, do uh, are terrible or disengaged and then all of a sudden wake up and decide, I'm going to just do this homework and get it done. You know, and then you start to see that growth, like as a clinician, as a parent, I think you have to be really, really addicted to the growth process. You have to be really um, tuned into the parts where you want to see those gains. And like, um, I think like I had consulted with a friend with your permission about uh, like talking about, you know, I was like, and I told her, I was like, here are the things that Summer has set up. And like, she's like, uh, you know, I would maybe frame these things too as like, uh, when you do these behaviors to approach them without the, ju you know, without judgment to the extent that you're capable of that, you know, that you're a human being. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you're showing me with this behavior that you need more security and I cannot provide more security, but you're showing me with this behavior that what you need is maybe going to be prison. Like, I don't like this for you not what I want for you. It's probably not what you want for you, but this is what is happening, mm -hmm. you know, and like approach to, approaching it from that distance where there's not the friction and the pull. It's not a power struggle that we're trying to engage in. We're trying to provide guidance, you know, <laughs> like it's not, I'm not interested in controlling you or surveilling you for the rest of your life. I have things to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want you to behave and yourself out of my possible. supervision, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And that is one thing that happened when I, in my deconstruction process mm -hmm. from evangelicalism was mm -hmm. I somewhere along the way had a perspective shift on our job as parenting where mm -hmm. it's not to, we aren't molding these blanks, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not blank slates that we, you know, we get to just fill in and here's the end product. That's not how it works. Kids are humans and we, in the majority of their life, hopefully it's going to be as an adult. So we're, you know, right. we're stewards. We can collaborate and have build a relationship. And my job is to help you not try to force you and control you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Empathy, just, it goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and these are also just like interpersonal, like I think too about like uh, what does it take to like come come to the table with somebody with psychopathy who has these incredible needs? Well, here you are a person who's approaching it from uh, like this, you have, you have all like extra interpersonal skills that you're sort of facilitating this like uh, somebody who has a, a, a real lack of them, you know? Mm, so true. I'm going to, I'm going to lend these parts of myself. Like I think it was Winnicott who talked about lending, lending ego support. It might, it might be, it might've been Freud. I don't remember, but like it's, uh, but it's basically like I'm giving this part of myself to you, this person who's still developing, you know, um, to allow you to kind of cross the bridge here, you know, and then I trust that you'll be able to do it on your own. And at a certain point, you know, mm -hmm. 
Um, but anyway. At this point, she mm -hmm. uh, has reached the conclusion mm -hmm. that she understands that her callous and unemotional traits mm -hmm. are not typical, right? Which, mm -hmm. of course, you know, there was a whole, uh, you know, therapy arc in there, you know, sure. teaching her to understand them and all, and all of that. But she understands that her unemotional um, traits are not typical. And she has, it's her superpower to her, really. Like she, she actually has expressed to me that our empathy and our emotions limit us. And that, um, so anyway, where I'm going with this, which I kind of get, like, logically, that would make sense. If you mm -hmm. don't have empathy and you don't have that emotional pull, like, I get what she's saying. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we are just lesser humans with, <laughs> with our emotions. Oh, yeah. Poor, poor little beings. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So uh -huh. what I wonder is how, and I know there's no way to know this really, but mm -hmm. how much of that is just the, because there's a certain amount of that age, age appropriately anyway, right? That, yes. that type of thinking. Yes. And so I'm wondering how much of that she might grow out of as her brain finishes developing and she has more exercise in relationships blowing up because of that approach mm -hmm. <laughs> to them mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that maybe there'll be some motivation to kind of reevaluate that as she gets older i'm hoping i don't know there's no way to know i don't think but i uh, one one approach that i've taken before was mm -hmm. um you know be the scientist be the scientist you tell me is this getting the things you want tell me all the things that you want let's mm -hmm. label all that stuff out is this instrumentally getting you the things that you want? Like vis-a-vis -vis, kind of in the frame of like the good lives model, right? Here are the things that are super important to you. Is your approach better? Is it going to get you more? Try a different one. See if it gets you more of the good stuff that you're looking for and report back. Like try it. How are you going to know? Like, so be, be your own little scientist and report it back. Like, Ideally, too, like a lot of those kinds of discussions would be um, held with multiple people in her circle, you know, um, the her therapist, a teacher, several teachers, uh, aunties, uncles, whoever you can get that helps <laughs> the support because you need it, too. It cannot just be you, you know, it cannot just be you. Um. So that would be like, that's one, you know, particular approach. But I think too, like uh, the best clinicians that I know are really some of the best parents I know too. And they have like um, really, really flexible approaches to their children's needs. And I think that that is just kind of universal with good parenting is like um, recognizing, um, you know, being f flexible in your approach and your different ways of like looking and centering your the person you're trying to relate to. Are you on? I, oh, there you are. Oh, wait. I, we're freezing. Hold on. Oh, okay. Okay, we're back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
No, I think it's hard to say like how much is is something that she'll grow out of. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I I never I I just never want to get in the way of somebody's growth. You know, um, people can be really surprising in this regard. You know. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that yeah. some of it, as she sees, I mean, we have been. Um, I stopped like asking questions from her a lot a long time ago. Like my communication style has changed dramatically from our like relationship. Um, I don't ask questions. I don't ask why did you do that. Odds are she didn't even know why she did it. Or if she did, she's not going to tell me anyway. Right. You can watch her do something, and she didn't do it, and she doesn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know. Right. Um. So. I've just been like very matter of factly. I try not to, um, I guess, fortunately due to my own trauma, I have an amazing ability to compartmentalize emotions. <laughs> so, you know, we just very matter of factly deal with things. Okay. You know, like she, she got money for her birthday and Christmas, mm -hmm. you know, I simply took it. This is going to go towards the window screen that you destroyed last week. I have to, you know, and that was it. There wasn't mm -hmm. a big, you know, they didn't have to escalate emotionally. And, and there is di ongoing dialogue about, you know, things like, oh, okay, why can't I go there? Well, when you treat people in an abusive way, mm -hmm. they often don't allow you to come in their space anymore so moving forward perhaps we should treat people in a little different way you know and in, even that conversation is respectful right because what you're saying is like um i'm gonna tell you the facts of why mm -hmm. somebody is, doesn't want you in their space mm -hmm. here are these things i'm not going to be afraid to tell you why i'm going to explain that i'm not going to belabor it here it is once, you know, uh, you can't do these things and then still continue to X, Y, Z, L, M, N, O, P, you know? Right. And that's just been what we, you know, we don't argue about it. We're not going to argue about it. This is just it. Mm -hmm. And she kind of, ex you know, she accepts that. She's like, okay, you know, so hopefully it will, the seeds will grow. And as she gets older, like I, I, I did mention the other day, she, um, I've noticed her actively practicing Mm -hmm. emotional uh, mimicry mm -hmm. which is it, kind of fascinating to watch yeah honestly, uh, because I've watched her like repeat phrases that she's heard other people say and try mm -hmm. to um and like I said somebody called me out saying I was saying something negative about her I, I don't really think it's necessarily negative because she needs those skills to have long-term relationships yes it can be used for malicious intent to manipulate people right but not always and she does need to understand <laughs> those things yeah. um but it is fascinating um but well yeah, who's to say she's not approaching this like building emotionality task just later you know like i, I mean I, I i would have a very open mind about that too you know so i mean it is what it is i mean <laughs> i don't think it's inherently wrong um no but um yeah, it's interesting. It's it's, it's <laughs> what was that you said um, that about the lion? The yeah. So <laughs> so I had asked like in the beginning, are there specific questions that people have that I can like because I like to like come correct and prepared, and um, you were like, people have asked what it is like living with a psychopath, and I have just said it's very interesting, and I was like, oh, you mean it's like living with a lion in your house? 
So this line hasn't like unalived you yet, <laughs> but it could at any time. And you're just kind of aware of that. And I like, I, I was really struck by some of the things that you wrote when you talked about like, where are the protections for parents who are looking for um, safety resources? I know like back in New York, there were parents who, um, you know, remanded their children to like psychiatric care and stuff like that, or like surrendered parental rights. Uh -huh. um, you know, those are, I guess, some of the, the legal mechanisms that people have used in the past. But um, more often than not, it's going to be the experience that you have with the police where uh -huh. you're told unless she actually does these things to you, nothing is really going to happen. So then the onus is on you of like creating the safe environment, right. maximally speaking. Uh -huh. And mm -hmm. where we're at, those mechanisms aren't even really on the table. You can only, mm -hmm. um, psychiatric care is only available if you can private pay. So only if you're wealthy. Cool. Um, other than, like I said, they'll take her for the acute um, time until they say she's not a threat to herself anymore. Now she's your problem. It doesn't matter that she's a threat to you. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Homicidality. We care about suicidality, but only kind of. And and only for certain people, and only if you have money, and only mm -hmm. in certain parts of the state, and only, you know. Right. right. And here in Oklahoma, you can't surrender your parental rights unless there is someone about, willing to take them, like, say, adoption, mm -hmm. or um, if you want to, because it's also often suggested to parents to sign their kids over, quote unquote, to child welfare. Mm -hmm. because they do have access to more care and more facilities. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, they are better equipped to be able to get them the care that they need. Mm -hmm. However, in order to do that, you have to open an investigation saying you are abandoning your child, which also right. puts custody of any other children you have into risk. question. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And also there are certain jobs that you cannot have mm -hmm. if you are, you know, have a person who has surrendered rights. Uh -huh. Yes. Uh -huh. So it, it creates, it's not really open to most people as an option. Um, mm -hmm. And then, like I said, uh, you know, people are, so then all people get desperate. And so then you get the suggestions of like the wilderness therapy or what have you, which again is extremely expensive. The amount that they charge is insane. I looked at that the other day. It's like, there. It is definitely a profitable industry. Oklahoma um, has done a very good job at restricting uh, uh, access to mental health care at really almost every level. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I have such admiration for people who continue to do things like work, live, and teach in Oklahoma. I, I couldn't stick it out, you know? So nice. I, you know... I, I couldn't. And mm -hmm. I uh, was there, like, I realized very quickly coming to Oklahoma that the cost of childcare would be greater than any possible job I could ever have as a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and, or it wouldn't meet the safety requirements that I had for myself and my children, right. you know? So you know, that's where, like, you have a person like me who's decently motivated to do good work in the community and has barriers to even be able to provide treatment 
Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying I need to work for like, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it would be nice to not like go into debt over childcare. Right. You know, mm -hmm. so, um, and I don't think that's changed in the, no. No, it hasn't I, changed. I, if, if anything, it's gotten worse. Yes. Um, the There are multiple, multiple barriers on the clinician side for being able to provide, like, decent treatment. Um, and two, like, working with people with psychopathy, most often the place that you're going to uh, do that work would be, like, in prison and jail populations. If I had had, like, a PsyD or my PhD and a licensure at that level, I'm sure I could have gotten hired. They do tend to pay a little bit better. All that's true. But the prison systems are not, they can be safe. I have worked in safe places. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma's women's correctional was like referenced in orange is the new black in the, in the book. Oh, really? Yes. Like they talk about some of the human rights violations that are occurring in, you know, and it, there are tons of local activists in Oklahoma talking about mm -hmm. what occurs at the jails. They're representative of what is occurring and they're not, they're not safe places to be. And they're certainly not safe places to be with COVID-19. Right. Um, but like, you know, if, if we can't at least have like basic safety, it's, this is what I'm saying, like basic mm -hmm. safety allows us to have these therapeutic relationships. If we don't have that, I can't do my job, right. <laughs> you know? And the same is true for you as a parent. Like you are, you have, uh, um, you know, very uh, judiciously like created these, these safety structures, um, you know, for, for yourself and for your child and for your other family members. Like, everybody benefits mm -hmm. <laughs> from from this but you had to kind of ingeniously create it for yourself you know and I so. have to, yeah and it's it's a it's a very interesting line to walk because i mm -hmm. can literally only do this because i live out in the woods in a rural right. area that nobody cares about right um, you know because i couldn't set her up her own cabin if i lived in the suburbs still that wouldn't be allowed you know i, I wouldn't think so <laughs> It just wouldn't be possible. So for the majority of people, mm -hmm. those are not options and there isn't support. And apparently this is a problem across the world. I mean, in that parenting yes. group, I mean, there are parents across the globe and no country seems to have a good system set up to provide the therapeutic interventions or the safety planning for these families. Everybody's just kind of left hanging on their own. Right. Like the, the issue too, is like with psychopathy, when you have, um, like when you have them in like the carceral setting in prison, they're like, like we have said, they're captive audience. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, when they're out and the, they, ha there have been programs that have attempted to reach people at the community level, which is smart. Like that mm -hmm. is, a, is, is a good approach. The trouble is like with psychopathy, if you're active in the community, you're probably not going to want to self-identify as psychopathic. Right. And if you're not caught up in prison, what is your motivation for ever receiving treatment? You figured out how to fly under the radar. Um, there's a bril brilliant book by, all, it's also by Hare. It's called um, Snakes and Suits. And it talks about basically like the white collar crime aspect of psychopathy because there are certainly 
plenty of psychopaths in almost every profession. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're in medicine, they're in the, the um, stock exchange, they're politicians, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're kind of everywhere. everywhere. Like they're, they're going to be evenly distributed across the population, just like every, everything else is. It's just that it's a smaller percentage, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and the, the, the finding people in the community setting, you mentioned that was one thing Dr. Keel talks about when he was, cause he was focusing on juvenile psychopathy mm -hmm. in the community. Mm -hmm. And the, one of the big hurdles that he had was a lot of parents are hesitant to, to be honest about what they're dealing with, with their child. For whatever 100%. reason, because, you know, we are concerned about them ending up in the car <laughs> in, in the carceral system, because the mm -hmm. younger that happens, the more, you know, that kind of sets the recidivism the in the pipeline. Right. And then we're also often told that this is our fault. Mm -hmm. um, and so you just, there's a resistance to, and there's a, a, an attempt to downplay it. I was actually reading a post by a parent yesterday about how they, admitted that they lied and hid some behaviors of their child when the police got involved because yes. they didn't want their child going to residential treatment. 100%. Because, yeah. Families do it all the time with uh, a variety, like family dynamics are, are interesting in that way, but like where parents will try to downplay whatever because they're trying to help their child avoid consequences for and some of this stuff is really legitimate. Like, you know, um, not wanting your kid to have interactions with law enforcement at age seven. Like, right. Yeah, I, I get it. I don't want my kid to have a law enforcement. Which is how we ended up pulling, how I ended up right. pulling her out of school because right. that's where we were at. We were at an age where they're like, we're going to start calling the police on her when mm -hmm. she behaves in this way. And I'm like, well, I don't want her, you know. Right. Go to jail at 10. So, right. um, so what parent wants that? We had to eliminate that, <laughs> right? Eliminate that yeah. possibility. So, we did at least get to delay any police interactions until she was 14. Mm -hmm. But, and, and that was one thing her, her therapist, she was with the same therapist for from time she was five until she was 14. Um, and that was one thing the therapist did make a point to talk to me about was with the pattern we're looking at. At some point, there is probably going to be some sort of police interaction or residential treatment. Let her go to residential mm -hmm. because it is better than the alternative mm -hmm. of them treating it as strictly a criminal matter. And yep, um, yeah, she's no, that's like, very I know pragmatic. You're not going to want to. Yeah, she said, mm -hmm. I know you're not going to want to because you want to protect her and you want to help her, but mm -hmm. let her go mm -hmm. because. No, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's extremely pragmatic and, you know, future oriented advice. Um, I, one of the things that I like, when I think about like, what is kind of next for people with psychopathy is probably just like, um, okay, so, sorry about that. I had a call okay. coming in. Can you repeat whatever you just said? Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, just, uh, that, like, I think one of the ways that allows people to like create, uh, more, like ever evolving safety plans and ways to like get better that are sort of inventive and 
go around the barriers that are that already exist for treatment are the different ways of connecting online. So, mm-hmm. like, I really love uh, that there are. I'm not, I'm not, I don't watch it because I'm an old person, but like TikTok, (laughs) you know, I know there's a community of people who self-identify with psychopathy and um, talk about it and try to educate and destigmatize. And I think that work is really important. I think uh, all of those different um, uh, ways to connect are all have potential you know, and so they can be like really creative resources to be able to talk with another parent to say, hey, what did you do that worked? <laughs> you know, here's my circumstance. Do you have feedback? Like those are all using each other as resources helps us keeping from getting burnt out because that is a huge, huge risk factor in working with people with psychopathy is just having being totally financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically depleted, you know. So you've got to have, like, you have to have as the parent, caregiver, provider, like, disciplined, disciplined self-care. And that disciplined self-care involves what your good lives plan looks like. So reward in your career, reward in your environment, connection with, you know, if you have a religion, connection with that, if you have the spiritual practice or whatever it is, like all of those little domains. And I can send you a picture of like the good lives model because I just really like it. It That would be awesome if you would. I'm kind of visual sometimes like with graphics and so I can like see it better in my head. Um, But like uh, your plan for yourself and I'm a caregiver as well. So I I say this as a person who tries very diligently to practice this for myself too. Our plans for ourselves as caregivers is just as essential as the plans we have for our children. Because, you know, it's very obvious, like without, um, without us, you know, they don't have, they have less and less capacity to be able to, to get better and to do more and to reach adulthood in, in the ways that we want them to. But when you're dealing with somebody who has special needs of any kind, whether that's a personality disorder, a psychiatric disorder, maybe you have an intergenerational family, whatever that caregiving situation looks like for you, those are going to be things that take away more and they, t- and they chip and they take away more. And then you have less to offer. So you're, we have to have like part of our safety planning is taking care of ourselves, you know, and it sucks. And it's hard. Like, it's really, really hard. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. And to be sure you never miss an upload, make sure you turn your notifications on. And please come join us on social media so we can continue these conversations in between episodes. You'll find us at Hapoxia Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok.